Fargo Season 2, Episode 9, The Castle is Over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, and I am joined here by a man who has composed an eight-hour opus about Alien Talk this week, Jeremiah Panhorse. Jeremiah, what's going on? What's up? How we doing, my friend? When are we queuing that up? I mean, it feels like we're going to do that early this week. <laughs> I have a feeling you are correct. We're going to be queuing it up pretty quick. We're going to be queuing that up really quick. Perhaps as quickly as right now as we bring back this next guy. Uh, and I just, before he even gets on here, I just want to say, Antonio, it's just a flying saucer. Oh my gosh. Can you actually hear blood coming out of my tongue? Flames from so on the side of my face. <laughs> Flames, <laughs> shooting flames. Yeah, wow. Yeah, no, uh, it's just a flying saucer. That's it, right? That's all I'm supposed to think, right? Yeah, we got to go. We got to go with this podcast. So. You know, Josh, I had a feeling that you were going to say that, so I went ahead and made sure we could hear what uh, how Peggy said. Hold on a second. Here's Peggy. It's just a flying saucer. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Just a flying saucer. <laughs> we got to make a break for it. Can we, before we get negative Nancy on anything, uh, can we all just agree that that was like the line of Kirsten Dunst's career? Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. I think so. Yeah. It's oh. just a flying saucer, Ed. We got to go. We got to go. It was just, it was just a spectacular <laughs> moment in this unbelievably controversial thing that's happening on Fargo. Just this right. unbelievable downplaying of this crazy, crazy, crazy thing. And a tip of the cap to Noah Hawley for writing that line of dialogue and for Kirsten Dunst for knocking it right out of the park. That was hysterical. That was great. However you feel about the flying saucer, you got to feel pretty good about the way that she observed it. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, and I, I almost feel like we're being told that. So I, I'm okay with that on that level. Like, hey, it's just a flying saucer. I'm sure many people have tweeted that at me. I've seen it uh, on the internet a ton, but it is what it is, Josh. It is what it is, Jeremiah. Oh, boy. Yes, oh, God. There's a little bit of tension here already, and it's just a great way to start <laughs> off a podcast. I'm loving it. All right. Let's set the stakes. Let's set the table. Mike Bloom was here last week. He is oh, gone. Uh, he was here to eulogize Dodd Gerhardt with Jeremiah and I. Antonio, you sent your eulogy along. It was beautiful. People loved it. We posted it in the show nuts. Show notes. The show nuts. Uh, the, the show <laughs> nuts is a very show different nuts. thing. The show nuts is a very different thing. Today may be show nuts. Uh, in the show notes at Post Show Recaps, people loved it. Antonio, now that we've got you on the line, can we can we get your take, your live take on the death of Dodd Gerhardt before we get your take on things that you probably are not as happy about? Well, first of all, I was very happy to see him die. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I'm glad that character didn't get to participate in the massacre at Sioux Falls. Honestly, I don't think he deserved it, and he deserved exactly what he got. I also really like that Hansy sort of actualized himself in that moment uh, and took the bull by the horns, and Dodd just said one too many things the wrong way, uh, and it was ultimately his own man who did him in. I think a lot of people thought Dodd should have gotten killed by somebody else, maybe his mother, uh, maybe his daughter, maybe Peggy, maybe a woman. Um, and I, I understand that. But I also do like the story that Dodd, even the people that are closest to Dodd, had been pushed away by Dodd to the point where that pulled the trigger right there, then and there. So I really like that. Uh, and I think you guys nailed it. Jeffrey Donovan bought, brought a lot of funny to the role, um, which probably didn't necessarily call for it because Dot is such an insufferable blowhard most of the time. Uh, it, Bruce Campbell had observed that that Jeffrey Donovan, as he put it, uh, is a character actor in a leading man's body and uh, with a 
the leading man's face uh, and that he's really kind of miscast if he's playing the leading man, that he is more of this sort of character actor type role. And I think that may be true. Uh, I don't, we didn't get to see a ton of that from Dodd Gerhardt throughout. It was really tough to say, are we supposed to love Dodd Gerhardt? We're obviously not, but he's also really funny a lot of the time. And you guys observe that in this last episode, some of the funny things that he was doing in episode eight. So I think it was a difficult character to really kind of bring everything across in the role and had the dimensions that it had sort of disagreed with each other on some level. But I think it was a fitting end for Dodd, especially at the hands of Hansi. And I was very thankful to see it. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I do think that Jeffrey Donovan was terrific in that episode especially. I, th- I thought that his performance last week was really, really fun. So he's not around for the massacre at Sioux Falls. The massacre at Sioux Falls is finally upon us here in the castle. We lose a ton of characters. Lots of people die. Lots of red shirts, but lots of important people as well. Big episode, big, big, big controversial water cooler moment with the the payoff of the UFOs. I know that this is not popular with everybody. Uh, I know that this is popular with some people. Some people really love this, and I'm still sorting out exactly how I feel. Jeremiah, how I, I think that this is the you know this is the elephant in the room. I think that we should just talk about it right up front. Jeremiah, how, how did you feel about the UFO payoff? Well, you know, I, I think I had the same reaction as a lot of people when it happened. I was like, whoa, okay, we did go there, sort of. And I had a lot of mixed feelings about it. But after I've had a little bit of time to think about it, I, I think I'm okay with it. You know, this is uh, something we've been seeing. Noah has been creeping on us. We've been getting a little bit of it all season long. He has we knew been eventually creeping on us, huh? He really has been creeping on us. And I just think that, yeah, exactly. So I think that uh, seeing the way it turned out, I mean – I'm okay with it. I mean, we're going to talk in a lot of detail here about about how we feel about this thing. But overall, I'm okay. Um, Antonio, can I can I paint a picture of how I feel like you reacted to this thing? Yes, please paint it. So I I want to posit- paint it with blood and rage and anger. Yeah. So I want to posit it like this. And Jeremiah, you tell me if you think that this is on point. Okay, um, let's go for it. Yeah. I want I want to suggest that uh, Fargo was Lou Salverson and Antonio was Bear Gerhardt. <laughs> and, and Fargo took a shot at, at uh, Antonio Mazzaro's head for, for a kill shot. And instead, Antonio's just charging towards Fargo, ready to rip it limb from limb. That's how I feel. That's how I pictured this playing out for you last night with the UFO thing. That's yeah, I think, I think that's partially true. I do feel like I took a couple bullets and I feel like I uh, want to choke a lot of things out. You know, it's interesting because there, I don't want my feelings negatively about this show to detract from the things that I think are great about the show. I'm a huge fan of the Coen brothers, as I've said throughout this podcast. I think most of their films, with a couple of exceptions, maybe like Intolerable Cruelty or The Lady Killers, uh, are really just top-notch, fantastic, like 8 to 10 out of 10 films. Um, and I'm, I've watched them more than probably any filmmakers uh, film that I've watched, except for maybe, maybe, maybe Martin Scorsese, maybe somebody else, but I really do love them. And I think that most of the time, I think this show does a really good job of capturing the sort of essence of the Coen brothers. It's difficult when you are telling a story the way they're telling Fargo this season uh, to kind of mix the genres that they're choosing to mix here. It leads me to questions logically about the whole series. Um, It leads me to questions about what's in this book of true crime. Is the narrator getting the details wrong? Some of our commenters 
Scholars have kind of observed where is the narrator getting the details. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people cite to The Man Who Wasn't There, which is one of the Coen brothers' great kind of underrated films with Billy Bob Thornton. It's, it's a fun fact. I have a poster of that film on a wall in my house that I bought in Rome. It's one of the favorite, my favorite things I've ever bought anywhere. Uh, and I love that movie. I love it for many reasons. It has this kind of weird sort of mysterious narration of the Billy Bob Thornton character who clearly isn't that smart. Uh, and gets involved in some horrible kind of film noir tropish kind of things. It's got a great soundtrack. Unlike most movies that you'll encounter, even Coen Brothers films, almost all of the film is classical music, uh, mostly piano pieces. And I remember at the first time I saw the movie, I was really most moved by that. I'd never seen a movie that didn't, you know, that didn't either have a score that was really prominently featured and mostly used like moving piano pieces. So I was really moved by that. And yes, UFOs are mentioned a couple of times throughout that. You see UFOs kind of present. In that case, it's very similar to I think what a lot of the UFO stuff on this season of Fargo is that work well for me, which is sort of background details about what people were like at the time, what people were focusing on, that sort of thing. However, there is a big UFO sequence in The Man Who Wasn't There. I would argue that that is presented very strictly and specifically as a sort of kind of -of out-of-body dreamlike experience. A character is in prison and all of a sudden he goes, he lays down to sleep, and then his prison cell opens. The jail is empty. He walks out into an empty courtyard of the jail, sees a UFO. He kind of looks at it, thinks about it for a minute, kind of nods his head, walks back into his jail cell, and the next day he wakes up and he's to be executed. And it's sort of this thing that I think is being presented very thematically there and not necessarily being presented in a sort of deus ex machina kind of moment where aliens are directly involved in the story uh, and you're crossing a genre in a way that you're mixing the things up. And that more than anything is, is the problem that I have. I think of another Coen Brothers movie that we've talked about a lot in this podcast, the serious man in that film it starts with a a kind of a prologue which is odd um like the kind of waiting for dutch prologue we got in episode one here but then by the end of that movie uh there is this question of like supernatural and whether the decisions you make uh will ultimately impact what happens in your life from a supernatural standpoint not from a natural standpoint there aren't too many other coen brothers movies that mix these genres like that that really show like oh you've got a very normal thing like for example in uh, um in oh brother where art thou there maybe is a little bit of that with the sirens uh you're seeing a story and you're not 100 percent sure what these sirens may or may not have done whether the sirens from the odyssey like what's going on there but this sort of genre mixing has always kind of rubbed me the wrong way because i just want to know uh kind of what the what 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 is going on with this story like what am i supposed to expect or not expect and the coen brothers do such a fantastic job of setting your expectations one way and then playing with them by switching things up just a little bit, but enough that it makes sense in the context of that universe. And I think that that's where this show has a very difficult thing to do because it sees its job not only as creating a TV version of the movie Fargo, but also creating kind of a TV version of all the Coen Brothers movies. And I think that when you're borrowing and sampling from multiple ones at once, it ends up being a little bit like that that DJ girl talk uh, who's taking like these songs and mixing them together. I think sometimes it works really, really 
really well. And then the stuff with the aliens, it, if it's not just thematic, when it becomes part of the narrative, then it, it starts to bug me a little bit. And this was the sort of culmination of all that. I mean, there's no running from the fact that we saw this happen, uh, and aliens absolutely saved Lou Solverson's life. And I'm wondering why yeah, multiple Sol- characters witness it. It's yeah, like why you can't Lou just Sol- say it's, yeah, you can't just say it's like fixed in Lou's head. Ed and right. Peggy see it. Peggy has that you know dynamic you know dynamite line. Um, it's it, that's the reason that Bear is distracted long yeah. enough to get popped yeah. in the brain. So wouldn't he be talking about this like throughout the course of season one? I mean, I went back and looked at some of the stuff that he said in season one. Some of it's been big on 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 Reddit, and some of it hasn't. I mean, he's got a line that he basically says like, "I saw some things there that I haven't seen since." You know what I mean? And I think that he says it's not <laughs> that's really- an understatement. <laughs> Yeah, but he says something like it wasn't really human. It was more like animal. And I think he's talking about Bear Gerhardt at that moment, not necessarily the UFO. I would think that if he he saw a UFO and a UFO saved his life, that would be like the thing about this guy's life. So it's hard. You you have to remember the context of that conversation was him talking to – uh, was he even talking to Laura Malvo at the time at the d- diner? Right? Is this what yeah, this happened? I think he was. Okay, was so the the, that conversation was was really just steering us towards the fact that he saw some terrible things, implying that he he may have witnessed someone a lot like. Lauren at the time. Right. I, I think he was not talking about aliens. I agree with, <laughs> during that with scene. you completely. And my point is, if he did experience that, uh, I can't believe that there isn't more, you know, it seems to me like not a thing that they thought, you know, when we're talking about Sioux Falls in season one, we're going to say uh, Flying Saucer came in. I think this is a season two invention. And I'm okay with it on, on that level. I, I don't mind that they didn't have everything planned about season two when they were writing season one. I just think right. if you're going to make the decision to have this be what it was that i think that it has to really be more contextualized within the context of season one i mean this would be a major major story like i know people would say ah yeah but people would just say they were crazy or whatever Uh, they would get dismissed you hear about people seeing flying saucers all the time but this is cops like these are people that are involved here so i really don't know we had a, a comment from I want to make sure I source it correctly. I think it was our Philly. Uh, it was our Philly. Our Philly said, given the context of the episode as being a story retold by a voice with a British accent, probably Martin Freeman. I think we have confirmation that it was. It was Martin yes. Freeman. Yeah. Noah Hawley in his interview with Entertainment Weekly, which is a great read if you guys are looking for some post game on this episode. Noah Hawley gave a big interview with EW and said, yeah, that's Martin Freeman, who is Bixby, the narrator of the history of true crime in the Midwest. Yeah, and and so that narrator, R. Philly says, is the presence of the UFO more palatable because of a potentially unreliable narrator? Was that detail of the story placed there erroneously to ensorcel and tantalize the listener? Uh, And I don't know. I I think that we have to kind of open it up because the other really interesting and potentially problematic thing this episode does is introduce the narrator as a conceit. And the narrator has an insight into things that it's surprising that the narrator has an insight into, like Hansy talking to uh, Floyd uh, and saying it was in that moment that Hansy said these two words and these two words. So is this an omniscient third-person narrator? Fine. Uh, If it is, like who is this meant to represent? I think we can talk about that because if we've all along been watching a story that is – 
things may be secondhand or told in a different way. If you introduce this sort of conceit into the show in the ninth episode, the penultimate episode of the second season, uh, are we meant to say that all these events, even though they're a quote-unquote true story, are subject to an unreliable narrator? Josh, I know you podcasted here on Post Show Recaps about the world of ice and fire, the George R. R. Martin kind of book that was about the history of the world in which that that show takes place right yeah and that book is quote-unquote written by another narrator and so all the stuff in it is subject to whether it's true or not we don't know so do you think that's what's in play here is this narrator like our philly asks somewhat unreliable and is it possible that some of these details are unreliable or jazzed up by a storyteller and not you know, in the context of the show? Well, I think if you want to look at this episode as this episode is sort of an out-of-the-box legend rather than truly, you know, pound for pound, fact for fact within the world of Fargo as we've seen it, because we have this narrator, Bixby, who comes in very suddenly just in this episode, I don't know. I don't know that you can read it that way. I mean, if you want to read it that way, I guess you can. For me, I I feel like if it was the unreliable narrator thing, don't you feel like we would have gotten we would have gotten some commentary from Bixby about the UFO? There's not a not a word about the UFO from the person who is writing the book of true crime in the West. Um, so I I feel like probably not. I, I I don't know, but I think that that what you can read is that Fargo could have an alternate title. That Fargo you know is called Fargo because that's the short and snappy word and it's based on a movie. But I think when you when you talk when you hear Noah Hawley talk and you read his interviews and you think about his approach to this series is he has for many moons now he has talked about crafting fargo as the history of true crime in the midwest he says that i like to imagine that there is this book out there that contains all of these stories about all of these things that happened out here and you know this this show plays and has fun with the concept of true crime and if we are to believe that these are stories that are featured in the book this is just the first time that the camera is peeling back that we are hearing the actual author of this tale and maybe in noah holly's mind this is all manufacturing of brixby it's probably not all actually real i think that there's a reading in that regard and i think that that kind of fits with the world of ice and fire idea of you're being presented with these stories from somebody who either doesn't know all the details or is fudging the details intentionally i think it's possible that you could read it that way and i much prefer that i'll be honest with you because that makes a lot more sense to me from just a what am I watching standpoint because that that introduces the possibility that some of these things are cooked up some of these things that seem over the top or unbelievable or too ridiculous to be true or they don't make a ton of sense uh, we're filling in blanks with details uh, we see that a lot when the characters on this show do it right we see characters like we even see it in this episode where Lou is flashing back to Constance's hotel room and he's standing in the hotel room and thinking about Hansy and Constance on the bed and we see a little flash of the conversation that takes place right after the conversation that we saw on last week's episode and there's lou wandering through the hotel room kind of experiencing it and we've seen you know we've seen lou do that and we've seen hansy do it we've seen others do it molly solverson was big on putting details together when she entered a crime scene i've always really liked that about this show that you have people come in and, and size the situation up and you see or are able to hear what they think of it when they see it i think so, that it's not just that too i think that there's just echoes of the moments that exist throughout far 
Fargo, and that does date back to the first season, where a lot of the time, and we talk about this show, how it really is beneficial uh, to watch it as a binge. It's a really, a really great experience to watch it in one chunk. But in the episode to episode, very often there are callbacks to exact replications of scenes that you saw in a previous episode, and it just feels like kind of the ghost of that scene still lingers. And it's a, it's a technique that has been used throughout the show since its inception. Yeah, and I mean, you can visualize that that technique uh, may play well into this sort of all these stories are in this book. And, of course, if they're in this book, they were written down by somebody, and somebody might have ginned up some details, or they might have put their own spin on it. They might have contextualized things in the in the time that it was written. There are a lot of options or possibilities there once you take that step back and you think about it. I mean, I think that it's hard to think about it that way because – there are a lot of things on the show that don't make a lot of sense unless you're assuming that the narrator is sort of kind of you're seeing the narrator's version of them. Uh, so it is it's a difficult thing that that Fargo is doing. And I applaud the show really for taking on things that TV shows don't normally take on. That's sort of what the Coen brothers do. I really uh, I was really just a, a total fan of uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of the connections that that do occur, like the blood simple thing is a more overt direct thing. But I'm a big fan of that. Uh, but, you know, I really like the the kind of less one less overt ones as well it, it's just it's really difficult because even in the best Coen brothers stories, you are kind of left to wonder like oh how did that connection get made or what was that i mean i remember specifically that people were absolutely baffled um by the uh the inside lewin davis uh and how the story in inside lewin davis connected or didn't connect and how it looped together and i don't think that that truly mattered i think that that was fascinating to kind of think about that film and there are several uh, several other films that do that so i appreciate the alien thing more in the context of the narration than less and i wouldn't really want either to exist without i, I have a question for you guys though are you uh, do you have a problem with the narration not coming in until this ninth episode? Would you have preferred to see this in the first episode, for example? This seems like a way to introduce the second season and not finish the second season. Jeremiah, what do you think? Yeah, I was okay with it. It was a little, you know, they've done a lot of things throughout this entire season. That every episode where they'll introduce something that seems a little bit different than we've seen before. And, and them introducing it so late is is okay with me, but I understand what you're saying. It makes me wonder, especially going on the conversations you guys were having back and forth there about this this big story, you know, this book that we're referring to, and that maybe it would have worked better if we maybe would have started off with that. But I, I you know, I'm okay with it. But I, I do see that there there could have been some positives about starting off the season with doing the narration. Um, what about I, you, Josh? Yeah, I, I certainly could see it that way as well. But, you know, just kind of to follow this down the rabbit hole a little bit of, like, this idea of what if we're now being revealed, you know, forget the UFO bombshell. That is a big bombshell, obviously. But what if the big bombshell is that these are stories that are in the actual book? You know, not just this sort of, you know, device that, that Noah Hawley, this abstract thing that he talks about, the history of true crime in the Midwest. What if it's actually that that is the way he is approaching this show and that these are stories in this book that has now appeared on the show. I really like that idea and to follow that down the rabbit hole a little bit and not to give too many spoilers away because if you haven't watched the show, you all really ought to watch the show. But this other show that Antonio and I podcast about on Poetry Recaps, The Leftovers, introduced a really far out there concept in its eighth episode of its second season that it had never hinted at previously. It was wild. It was insane. It was beautiful. It was amazing. And we had figured it was kind of just a one-off 
thing, and then it reappears at some point. So now you have to address that element of the world of the leftovers as an element of the world of the leftovers. Um, and it's something that had existed all along, potentially, uh, that, it's a, that it's something that is now in play. So maybe that is something that is now being introduced here in Fargo. We know that Fargo is getting a third season. We know that Fargo is going to continue. We now have Bix- Brixby as a narrator, voiced by Martin Freeman. Fantastic to have him back in the mix. Um, and, and who knows? We could be seeing more readings from, from this. I don't mind that it starts here. I don't mind that it only gets literalized here this late into the game because I do feel like there's something to be said about the fact that the massacre at Sioux Falls was this legendary event that has been suggested for so long, um, ever since you know the first season of Fargo. I don't know what the first mention of Sioux Falls is. I don't know if either of you guys have that off the top of your head, but it's something that Lou brings up a bunch of times, You know, at, the, at least at the midpoint of season one, if not you know a little bit closer to the end. And it's something that we've been building to for so, so, so long that now that we're here in the castle, now that we're finally in the episode that is going to go all the way into the massacre of Sioux Falls, and now that it's going to reveal who is the engineer of the massacre at Sioux Falls, who's the main perpetrator, who's the person that really puts all of these pieces on the board and knocks them all down, and it's handsy, and that's something that we really did not expect earlier on in the season, that he was kind of going to be the driving force of this massacre. I think that it's cool to have it come in here. I, I've been, I, I spent the whole day chewing on this because I, I wasn't sure if I liked it or not. I didn't know if I liked that the narration was coming in this late and that we had to wait so long to finally get this thing rather than have it be the opening framework for the season. I think that there's, there's certainly an argument that that really would have been nice. But I think that there is this legendary quality to the Sioux Falls Massacre that now that it is opening up here, now that, that, now that we're finally in the episode, that we can pull the camera back a little bit and get some outside assistance into kind of analyzing what this huge historic moment in the history of true crime in the Midwest actually meant. So I think that ultimately, I kind of love it. I kind of love that it's here. Yeah, so what you're saying is ahead, if Josh. somebody sends us a copy of this book, don't read it because you'll spoil every damn season that's coming up, right? What I'm saying is that somebody already sold me a copy or, or sent me a copy, oh, and I'm just, I'm, just shilling, nice. I'm just shilling for the book. because If that book free. existed, I would buy it. Like I would have bought it immediately. Yeah. I mean I would love to have this book, especially with the illustrations. It looks like an amazing book, it so I would really love awesome. to have it. Yeah, yeah. I would I'm, definitely buy a copy of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy that it exists. Like I said, the alien thing contextualized makes a, makes it a lot better for me with the narrator. And I do wonder if they sort of thought about that and thought, you know what, we're going to do this thing. And, and one of the ways we can sort of soften the blow or one of the ways we can make it work better uh, is by throwing a narration into the mix so that you're immediately you're removed from what you're doing. Because, like, if we were watching Breaking Bad and Walter White near the end of one of the seasons just gets in a UFO and flies away, like, <laughs> what show have you been watching? Is it, like, Breaking Bad or Battlestar Galactica? Like, I need to know what, what the universe is that I'm, that I'm occupying. I mean, if, if things pop up in that universe and they, they make sense thematically, like the UFO in The Man Who Wasn't There, I'm okay with it. Fargo has done that really well. Like, for example, I, I wasn't talking about this episode last week, but last week when you had the Ronald Reagan movie, sort of come to life uh, and Peggy is really kind of involved with it and that's happening and you see it happen that's a thing that most shows don't really do most shows aren't taking these chances and Fargo it doesn't always work like the things that they have done in this season like that have not some of them have been better than others let's just put it that way uh, but I appreciate that the show is taking those chances uh, most shows on television are not doing that and I think that that some of them are going to work and some of them aren't uh, your mileage may vary on the ones that work better than others my mileage on the UFO thing was strictly 
directly related to I felt like the story was being presented in a fairly straightforward way, especially with the first season and the way the second season should have kind of evolved considering it was in the same universe with the same creators and it was being presented in a very different way where sort of anything was possible are ghosts going to come back to life like what's going to happen we don't know are there going to be zombies we don't know because there's ufos apparently so it wasn't being told in a straightforward way um that didn't defy the expectations of the genre so that has always sort of kind of been a a little bit problematic to me and i think it treads a very fine line and as i said some of the things they do that are outside of that have worked really well for me and others i think are problematic but throwing the narration here in at the 11th hour uh when you're going to have such a, a, a legitimate deus ex machina kind of moment uh, i do think that it's good because it allows you the opportunity to say what our philly has observed like Maybe this has something to do with the fact that what we're watching is something that was written down by this Bixby. And maybe Bixby added these details to contextualize the times and the the era. I mean, the guy at the gas station says UFOs come in threes. We now have three, I think, to me, even though others have disagreed with me on this, I think we have three distinct UFO moments in this season. Maybe we even have four, uh, if you think about the outside of the butcher shop. But we have Rye, we have Hansy looking up and losing the hours, and now we have this great giant UFO leaking all kinds of fluids and saving Lou Solverson's life. So there's your three right there. Uh, and I think that's interesting. I do think it, it, re-watching the season could be great. Hey, I have a question for you. So I mean, obviously, I know, Antonio, this is something that, that's, that bothers you, and, you know, it's something that you were not happy with. So how, when you look at those three examples you gave just a second ago, how do you, how do they, those not, though, at least somewhat relate closely to what we saw in this episode? I mean, really, for the, honestly, the, the biggest thing is we actually physically get to see the craft this time, when before it was just kind of presented us in, a, in the other person's perspective. So we weren't able to actually really see the UFO, but we were pretty much told from episode one there's like this UFO that seems to be you know watching over them for whatever reason. And, but now that we actually get to physically see it, it seems like that definitely was a jumping off point for you, where you just looked and go, no, this is too far for me. Like, for me, too far would have been if Little Green Men would have came out and, like, took Wait one of the finale. Them Wait for the finale. <laughs> and flow away. Now, I know that makes me maybe sound like I'm just homering too much on the, the season and that, that I love Fargo too much that I don't want to say anything bad about it. But, no, to me, I, I felt like it didn't really cross a line for me yet necessarily, but obviously it definitely crossed the line for you and many other viewers that were watching it. So was there, when you, did you think about that part when you first saw Rye obviously see something in the sky? I mean, is it, is, is there a difference there between the two? How, how do you, how do you look at that? No, I mean, you know, I, you know, I had a problem from the jump, Jeremiah, like I've been ranting about this all season. Like this is, yeah. this is not something which to me fits within the context of what, I thought I was watching, and I don't mind when you play with the context. I don't mind when you mix genres. I don't mind uh, if you have sci-fi elements. What I mind is yes. when you're changing the kind of rules of the show, the logic of the show, the logic of the world in which the show takes place. Fargo has always been a show that sort of plays with the true crime narrative in the way that the movie did, in the way that the Coen brothers were so glib about. They love playing with things, and they're famous for saying that they have dozens and dozens of unfinished scripts lying around because they don't know how to 
finish their movies. Uh, and mm-hmm. so you see a lot of their films don't make a ton of sense because the, the third act is like, oh, so all of a sudden Dave Van Ronk is like back at the same place he was, but it's a week later. But is it a week later? Because there's a cat there now. What's happening? Uh, you know, all, we, the man who wasn't there, we've got that scene and, and we've got that. I mean, their, their third acts are sometimes all over the place. And, and it doesn't, it, so it's not, not within keeping of the, the Coen Brothers tradition that the third act here involves a deus ex machina that makes a lot of sense, I think, considering they themselves have said they often don't know how to end their stories and they have so many unfinished scripts because they can't figure out how to end them. But I think most of the time the worlds they're in have rules. And I think that that's the, the part I struggled with is we have an established set of rules from Fargo season one which don't include the supernatural or extraterrestrial. And then we want to bring it in in season two. It's just a little difficult for well, me and always has been. Well, let me, yeah. let, me, let me throw this out there that, you know, Noah Hawley has always talked about this show as being Cohen-esque. And anything that the Cohen's done, he has felt is available to him. That all of that is available to him. Just because there was no reason to bring UFOs into Fargo season one, the fact that UFOs exist in a limited capacity, but they exist in The Man Who Wasn't There, um, gives him the ability to draw on that. I think that maybe you could, you could throw, you know, you could throw a rock and say, uh, you you overplayed it. You played it too big. You you played it too much. But I think that if we're talking about the universe of Fargo, you know, it's easy to say that like it's a, it has to be the true crime narrative because it's called Fargo. But the author's intent has always been for it to be Cohen esque. And doesn't this draw on Cohen esque aspects? Even if it's not a huge drawn out Cohen esque thing, it is Cohen esque. It does exist in their catalog. It does, and that's my criticism. Is you know I could say uh, I'm going to make a tribute to Beethoven. Uh, and I, if I put con, you know discordant music together, uh, one piece that doesn't completely fit with another piece, that doesn't mean I've done something good and I should be credited for it. And I think that's always been my issue here. And I think it's a really tough tightrope. And that's why I kind of want to couch any criticism I have of this by saying, I'm so glad someone's making a television show that is Cohen-esque, that does borrow from the Cohen Brothers universes, because I love those universes. I just think that you can't always put them together. I mean, you can't have George Clooney as a slick divorce lawyer showing up in Fargo in 1979 and say, well, he's in intolerable cruelty, so it's fine. It's Cohen-esque. No, it doesn't work that way. Like, if you're telling a certain story, like, Aspects of that story are in play. If you're going to go beyond that, it needs to work thematically, not just narratively. Uh, because if you're trying to put in the narrative, it could be discordant, like my Beethoven example. Uh, and if you want to put it in there and say it's thematic, I'm, I'm looking at the example of last week when we go inside the Reagan movie. Or take your, your prologue of this season, Waiting for Dutch, right. where we go inside the Reagan movie. Those are things that are thematic. And they play into the universe they exist in that the world of the, this show but they're on the show for thematic reasons and not to drive or affect or impact the narrative and that has really been my complaint in, with this overall is you're right the license in the deal with the show has always been everything the coen brothers has done is open and i want to tribute all of it that's great and we can find a way to work in a Walter Solbchek type character. We can show a tribute to Miller's Crossing. All this is in play. Maybe we could even end up someone with a penny on their head, like Raising Arizona. <laughs> right, right. Like anything could work. But some things also just are discordant and won't work. And that's always been my issue with the aliens thing is that say what you will about all the Cohen Brothers movies and how these things exist in them. They don't often or usually or um, almost ever exist in such discordant ways. It usually fits in a thematic way if it's happening at all, if it's discordant. Right. And I think that this is just discordant for me. And that's it. That's it. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, I kind of looked at this as the fact that we've seen a lot of absurd things in this season. I do feel like maybe the flying saucer is that ultimate symbol of those absurdities. But really, you know what's funny is the way – and I totally understand what you're saying, and I I agree. Sometimes when you set uh, rules in place on a show, you kind of expect – you know the show to follow those rules, and I totally get that. And I, I think that's, I think that's probably an issue that most every, anyone that's probably having a trouble with dealing with the UFL thing is probably dealing with those exact thoughts that you're having, Antonio. You know what's interesting though is when we, since our Philly guys talking about this whole concept about the fact that this was this particular episode was told as a narration, like someone telling us the story from a book. I kind of looked at it that way a little bit though, like when. When I when I look at this, is I kind of feel like if I was sitting down and someone was reading this story to me, or maybe even I was hearing it in first person by by Lou or something, right? And he gets to this part to say that yeah, there was this strange craft that came over us at some point with these really bright lights, and I have no idea what it was, but it looked to me like it'd be a UFO. I pa- I would pass it off if my friend told me that. I was like, ha, yeah, that's pretty funny, man. Yeah, you know, because I don't really necessarily believe in UFOs. I would just kind of laugh it off like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, I know a lot of people see a lot of strange things, you know. And so I wouldn't really even take it that seriously. So I almost like when I was hearing or when I'm seeing it, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is what was part of the story. You believe it whether you want to or not, or whether or not they really saw a, an alien craft that night or if they just were all like caught up in the moment and saw something else. You know, I, this is kind of just the way I look at it. It's like I was being told this story, and whether or not I really need to believe this story, this part of the story or not, eh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. You know um, what I'm trying to say? Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah no, it, make, it makes perfect sense. And, I mean, I think that that's where it comes in. Like, is somebody goosing up the details of this story to make it more watchable? I mean, look back to season one. Is the Lorne Malvo shootout in the building where he literally goes floor by floor like a video game and takes <laughs> right. out an entire mafia organization? Is that really that believable? I mean, it is believable because Lorne Malvo is a monster and it's, a, it's one of the best sequences of the entire first season. But if right. you took a step back and said, what were the real details going on here? I think you might say like, okay, I can see where that could have been goosed up as a legend. And I think, Josh, your observa- observation that this is a legendary th- Thing. So it makes sense, and, and it's a kind of couched. It's wonderful to couch it in the, the context of this is a story being told like almost a tale that you'd read in a book. Um, it, it, maybe the details seem fantastic to you. Maybe I've written them in the most fantastical way, but something did happen. And so I think that that more than anything, I, I'm, I appreciate that they take chances. You can get a lot of mileage out of genre bending uh, and mixing genres and doing and playing with things like that. I just think that sometimes the chances don't always don't always work and that's all there is to it let me ask you a question uh antonio so do you feel like this was in there for no reason or do you feel like there are can you can can you make thematic connections for why the ufo exists as somebody who is not wild about the fact that this is on the show do you see where noah hawley where the writer's room do you see where they're going in terms of how this fits narratively with the season that they've constructed this you know this season that's taken place in 1979 there's a lot of post-war feeling going on here issues of racism issues of the underdog going up against you know big aggressive people do you feel like the ufo fits in there or do you feel like it's a ufo for the sake of having a ufo on fargo yeah i definitely don't think it's the latter i think that your mileage may vary on whether you feel they were successful in tying things in thematically but of course like we talked about this a little bit earlier in the season that the connection to the man who wasn't there uh, i don't remember the article that was cited but it was written sometime earlier this season and the man who wasn't there is a man who is ready to be sentenced 
to die and has committed some crimes and has made some mistakes and has done some things and he's looking up at the UFO uh, and the UFO sort of shines a light on him and he thinks about it for a minute, nods his head and walks back inside. The next thing he remembers when he wakes up is seeing a priest and being executed and being talking about being okay with understanding his place in the universe and that sort of thing. And so think about this season, uh, the context that you just mentioned about the post-war stuff and all the stuff we've talked about on this podcast. People looking for answers, looking for a reason. Ronald Reagan being in this season as a sort of thematic kind of like avenging angel or a knight on a white horse ready to ride to the shining city on a hill. Like that makes a lot of sense that people are looking for answers in this post-war, even though it's just five, it's five years after. Uh, they're still very affected and impacted by what they experienced. And we see it crop up in, in Fargo has done just a, ma- a magnificent job of this, even in this episode where Hank is butting heads with the cops and they're comparing service notes and saying, oh, were you army? You know, well, that makes a lot of sense that you be doing this and you'd be so straightforward and dogged and all these things and so these people's lives have absolutely been impacted and you think about peggy searching for answers and wanting to kind of actualize and have a different and better life um all these all these kind of questions that naturally emanate from dark times and also from as mike milligan called it the 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 70s are a hangover of the 60s and so it, it makes a ton of sense uh that these people have these issues your mileage may vary on whether the UFO being connected to that uh, lends any kind of value to that story. Um, I think that the point Holly would make or that others would make is there's a reason that in the late 70s we went UFO crazy again. Uh, having previously been UFO crazy in the early part of the atomic age, in the late 40s into the early 50s, right after that war, uh, that maybe when you, you deal with these crazy, unspeakable atrocities that don't, you know, have easy answers, that everyday people are going to be looking uh, in all these different places for all these different answers. And so it makes sense that people would turn their eyes skyward uh, and think about where they were in the universe and not just on the earth. Uh, and so I really like that part of it, that that's the that's probably the biggest problem I have. You know that that you too. So that's probably the biggest problem I have is that I think there's a way to capture that without it being so overt. Yeah, uh, and I think I that you. I think that it, a, a defter touch uh, with everything uh, is is there. And you know, if the rye scene had been presented, for example, in a way that might have been a UFO or it might have been train lights shining off the ice in the distance. Shout out if to John Davis. Shout out to John Davis. If the if the you know if if the Hansy incident had been presented differently, if this incident had been presented differently, I would have felt a lot better about all of it. Instead, it's clearly overt, and I feel like that for me uh, takes a little bit away from it. I yeah. feel like that for me changes the the kind of rationale or kind of evaluation that goes on. Uh, it's not something that is thematic, and clearly, it's something that is more than that, uh, and it's part of the story. And so, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I like the symbols in Hank's, in, in Hank's house. They make a lot more sense to me for a person who, um, whose daughter is dying and who has experienced these wars and who is in kind of a difficult place by himself. Uh, they make a lot more sense to me than Hank got abducted by aliens and is trying to communicate with their language. Yeah. I'd rather so, think of it as a former and not the latter. So what you're telling me is that you are not going to be buying into the theory that Peggy is really an alien and that Hansy is an alien bounty hunter after her. Oh, my God. <laughs> is Star-Lord going to show up? Yeah. Like I, no, seriously, like you, you laugh, Jeremiah, but what if the final episode contained a, a step further in this story, that Peggy was an alien? Like, are you feeling as good about Fargo Season 2? What is too far for you guys on this? 
That's a good question. Josh, you want to go first? No, he asked you. <laughs> you, give, you give him the goods. I see, what there. I see what you did there, buddy. All right. So, yeah, I, I have thought about this. I have thought what would be the line to be too cross for me. And I think, I think uh, going any further than we've gone already would be probably a little bit too far. I mean, if I'm physically going to be seeing aliens and they're talking to Lou or anyone, let's say, right, I, I think I would definitely have a bit of a problem because – you're right. We have to somewhat some, set some kind of established rules on what the show we're watching so we know what to expect for down the road. And if, if we went that crazy into the sci-fi world, then I would be like, okay, is this a sci-fi channel? What am I watching? You know. So, yeah, that, I think if I, if I see some aliens and it's not just this vague description of some lights and some ship they couldn't, rec- couldn't make out in the sky – if it goes any further than that, I'm, I'm really going to – it might be pushing a line for me. Yeah. What about Josh, you, Josh? Do, Josh, do we have to set rules? I mean w- w- maybe we have shows that don't have any rules in, in well, you know, these genre conventions, but you know, maybe, we don't, maybe we don't have to set rules. I mean I, I, feel, I like, feel like that's what Fargo's doing is just breaking the rules, and is that a bad thing? Um, I got, listen, I got to see, I got to see how it plays out. I would, I, I'm, keeping, I'm keeping an open mind to it. The thing is – I, this was, uh, this, this whole thing with the UFO, like, I knew it was coming. Um, you know, I was not watching the episode live. It was impossible to be on social media as Fargo was airing and not know that some big, big, major actual UFO sighting was happening. I was tagged in tweets. Everyone in my timeline was talking what? about what it. What would do that? So, so I, so I knew that something was coming, so I didn't get to experience this as a surprise, and that really sucked. I really wish that I could have because I, I don't have that pure reaction. I don't, I don't know what, you know, it, I didn't have this wow factor. I'd been watching the entirety of the castle waiting for the UFO moment because I knew that something was coming. That really sucked. That was a real bummer. Um, so with that in mind, if, if, the, if the finale can come up with some way, I don't know. Fine. Let's just see the example through. If Peggy is, a, is an alien, if Peggy <laughs> is from Vulcan and she's just been trimming her ears along with her haircut, you know, like if, if, uh, if, if something like that is going on, if they present it in a really beautiful, touching art way i might be able to get on board with it antonio i really might and i and i think that um i i I think that it's possible i i get all of your concerns i see all of your points i do think that this was an element in the cohen-esque universe that holly could draw upon i think as it stands it's not my favorite choice that he's made on fargo by a long shot i would argue that he probably overplayed his hand here um but i don't know i haven't had the moment i haven't been allowed the opportunity to be really surprised and wowed by one of these ufo moments yet and if if the finale can present something that is really beautiful and soulful and something that's really just going to like you know massage my heart and make me cry i you know i i might be down for that i might be down for that i might be down for a show that's willing to you call it breaking the rules i don't know that it's breaking the rules i don't know what the rules are i think that the rules are many i think that the rules are hard to pin down with this show and i think that that's something that the ufo storyline has really proved um and i think that it has been here from the very first step of this first episode of this season so i don't think that it's yeah it drops in out of nowhere and it is truly a deus ex machina but it's not like it hadn't been teased you know if anything it had been overly teased it had been seeded throughout this season that yeah you know that we have a theme song for it here on this podcast um so i don't know i don't know my 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 answer is that i think i think that if they play it really well i i'm i'm opening my heart to the to the possibility of being surprised and touched any any problem any problem with the fact that those rules that don't exist uh don't seem to apply in season one like it's not a ufo 
go mad. Lou Solverson doesn't own like the Flying Saucer Diner. Uh, it's never even mentioned. It doesn't even come up. Like, is this a problem for you, Josh? No, it's not a problem for me at all. It's a, all right. It sounds like it's a problem for you. Of course, it's a problem for me. So tell, I mean, I just, tell me why. Well, come on. Like, I just let's live in a logical world. If aliens, if this thing happened with aliens, you think that we wouldn't hear about it at all when we're talking about Sioux there are, Falls? So there many are, times there are four. There are four people who interact with the UFO. There's there's Lou. There's well, I guess there's five. There's Lou. There's Bear. R.I.P. Bear. So let's take him out. It's Lou, Ed, Peggy, and Hansy. Really, no one else is dealing with the UFO. No one else sees it on the show. For all we know, everyone else, you know, Hank is still alive, but he's inside and he doesn't mention the thing, so we assume he didn't see it. Um, I think that we could see Ed or Peggy or Hansy, any one of those three, and likely at least one of those three. I would say Hansy is probably a goner next week. Um, I could very easily see Ed or Peggy dying next week. I could now see Ed or Peggy leaving Earth on a UFO. That is a possibility that is in the mix. And that would leave Lou, who is a meat and potatoes kind of guy. You know, he is, uh, I, one of the things that I, that I love about Lou Salverson is how much he reminds me of my father in law who is just like this really really awesome sweet hard-working dude who just like does like he only cares about the work at hand and family and just very simple things he's he's the greatest human being i know and and i and i feel that way about lou like i feel like he is just a, a guy who focuses on what's in front of him and not so much the big picture type of stuff so do i believe that lou would encounter a ufo and if he's the only person who is left alive in this thing that has actually seen the ufo do i believe that he is going to go ahead and make the ufo diner not necessarily and ver- ver- verging on no, um, and but I he also- talks about he talks about Sioux Falls so much. It's like the he biggest does. incident of his career. He does. You think he doesn't tell Molly about the UFO? You think yeah. it isn't like the number one family story yes. out there? Yeah, I can see. I can, yeah, because- I can see. I can see him not saying that because something that is such like a private, personal, life changing moment. Sometimes you keep those war stories to yourself. I don't imagine that uh, you know necessarily that somebody who saw war, who saw combat, who saw something extreme, comes home and tells every single story that they saw and. This this is the biggest one. I can absolutely see a guy like Lou keeping that to himself. Um, and on top of that, Lou is not a focus character in Fargo season one. Lou is definitely a support character in season one. It is not his story by any stretch of the imagination. No, but it's Molly's story, and I figure I feel like she would know. Like I feel like I understand what you're saying, but I just feel like the way this goes down, what's, what's I, I just don't. Lou is many things. One of them is not a liar, uh, and I don't see him lying when he's giving official statements. I don't see him lying to protect this sort of thing i just i don't see it happening so you know we'll see maybe they'll come up with a way to cover for this somehow in season two or at the end of i'm sorry the 10th episode of season two right like maybe we'll see they'll come up with a way where lou, lou says to another character like it was the weirdest thing i've ever seen i'm never breathing another word about that in my life like we'll see something that will cover this and to me, it, 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 anytime you introduce a UFO, you're introducing a ton of logical questions. I'm sorry, I'm a lawyer. I ask logical questions. Sure. Doesn't make yeah. logical sense to me. I understand the emotional appeal that you're making, but the guy talked about Sioux Falls all the time. But isn't that the reason why he wouldn't say anything to anybody? Because he doesn't want to sound like a freak or a weirdo to everybody, you know? <laughs> Let's be honest. Okay, if you meet someone and they tell you to believe in aliens, you have – if you're like me, and I, I'm not saying this – this makes me sound like a terrible person, but I probably will stop and go, wow, 
what a weirdo that guy is, right? <laughs> can I? Can I? So can I, I just think that he. I just think that uh, Josh is right. Lou is the kind of guy who's probably not going to tell anybody. Well, let me also throw out another possibility. What if this is not the most important thing that happened to him at the massacre at Sioux Falls? It's very likely not. Yeah, All right. Yeah, he didn't get shot yet. Yeah, you know, it, it saved his life. That's true. It gave him the opportunity to pop Bear Gerhardt in the face, but that was a crazy moment for him. That was a very scary thing that happened to him. That's probably a bigger deal, like the fact that he almost got choked out by Bear Gerhardt. On top of that, who knows what happens to Hank? Hank has been gut shot. Is this the night that Hank, saw, uh, that Hank uh, Larson dies? Is this going to be his final night on Earth? That's probably a bigger deal to Lou. On top of that, did Lou's wife die this day? Uh, that is a question that is very much out there, that we don't know what happened to Molly's mom. She's in the kitchen. She falls. He's calling. She's not there. No one is there. Did Molly's mom die? Did, did Lou's wife die in this episode? And if those are things that happen, and if he sees something really, if something you know extra stupendous happens in the next episode with Ed and Peggy and Hansy, these are bigger deal items potentially for a guy like Lou who's salt of the earth, that those are going to be the things that he focuses on with Sioux Falls. And on top of that, I really, I think that we're going to have to agree to disagree on this point, Antonio, is that I could see Lou as the kind of person who would just bury that deep down inside and would never say anything about it to anybody. He seems like that kind of guy to me, and I know that those guys exist. Yeah, and I just don't think he's a liar. I understand what I you're saying. I don't call that lying. I don't think that it's, that's lying. It's well, not then lying. How, how did you Antonio. escape Bear Gerhardt's grasp? Uh, well, I got the drop on him, and then I uh, shot him with the, my gun that I was finally able to reach. How did you get the drop on him? It uh, doesn't matter. Oh, how about the fact that he's already got two bullets in him? I really think at this point the guy is eventually going to fall, right? I think, I think Lou should have died. I mean, I think more than anything, I think we are going to see another incident with Lou taking a bullet because we know he's got the pronounced limp. We know right. that this is the incident that caused him to quit being a right. police officer. Yeah, totally. So I think Hansy's got a bullet with Lou's name written on it. I think we could see a scenario where Lou, Betsy, and Hank end up three astride in the, in the same hospital, even though they're not in the same you know, area, where they're all just sort of either in various stages of recuperation or uh, you know, just, uh, just unfortunately for Betsy, just kind of fading away. Uh, but I think we could see them all three in the same hospital at some point. Uh, and so I don't know where that all ends up. I don't know if that's what we're, we're leading toward. But I just do think that Lou is, he's many things, but he's an honest man. And I just, I think I see it as dishonesty for not relaying the incident, how it occurred. And that's all, right. all there is. And I mean, you, you look at those things differently. Your profession trains you to, uh, you know, for, for me, for me, I, I don't know. I, I guess I have a more flexible viewpoint on it. Well, and clearly the aliens do not like the Gerhards because this no. is the, the, the second brother that was <laughs> yeah. involved. These aliens are just from Kansas city. Yeah. That saucer had Kansas city. <laughs> it's, the, that's exactly right. The UFO <laughs> was operated by the severed head of Joe Bulo. Yes, exactly. With like, with Krang a, style. Yes. He's in some behind. <laughs> yes. Um, I'll also, let me just make it clear for the record. I think that there there are there are ways to convey the messages that the UFO conveyed that probably could have been conveyed better than by just plopping a UFO in the middle of a gunfight. Yes. So I will I'll, I will go on record and say that like the UFO thing that happened on Fargo is by far and away not my favorite thing that's ever happened. It uh, it yeah. hasn't it hasn't destroyed the show for me by any stretch either. But it's kind of like it, it was really it was just a, a weird weird creative choice uh that noah holly as he was crafting this season was like you know what i'm gonna have ufos this season i mean i think he's he gave this interview with entertainment weekly and talked about like well no 
one at FX said no. I kind of feel like somebody yeah, at FX maybe should have said no. It's kind of like in the writer's room for the prequels of Star Wars that no one was there to tell uh, Lucas right. uh, no. Yeah, it's like at least someone should have said, well, can we talk about it? Like, can we, can we, can we sit for a minute on the idea and just like really feel it out? Uh, right. So I, I, I mean, I applaud FX for giving him the latitude to do what he wants. That's a great yeah. thing. That, really... That's a great thing that FX does is that they yep. really give their, um, their creators pretty much free reign to just make the shows the way that they see them. That's something that's kind of unique about the way that FX operates. However, sometimes that leads to a UFO being in the middle of Fargo, and also it sometimes leads to the bastard executioner. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. And I think that I think more than anything, like I said, I appreciate that Holly is taking chances. It's a lot harder, I think. He, he refers to Fargo in that EW interview repeatedly. Italy, his television show Fargo as movies. Each episode he calls movies. Right, he said yes. repeatedly in other interviews he's making movies every week. It's incredibly hard to make ten movies like that that have the thematic punch of the man who wasn't there, where you can shoot dreamlike sequences throughout the film so that when a UFO shows up in one, it doesn't like take you aback. It's not yeah. like, oh what? Like this doesn't belong here. It makes perfect sense because of the narration and because of the dreamlike state of the the main character there throughout the course of the film uh that it would happen it's it's a lot more difficult task to execute that on television and i think that uh, with some successes and some failures i mean a lot of the criticisms of fargo and i heard some on this show last week uh are about the 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 convenience of some of the writing uh for example the newspapers uh, all, all of a sudden saying where mike milligan is or having a right. stock file of hansy a stock photo of hansy and having all of that kind of at the ready and being prevalent in that universe alan seppenwall talked a lot this week and compared to die hard and roger eber review of Die Hard 2, the ineptness of the police officers, that this is a card that Fargo, the TV show, has already played, and we see it really in abundance this time, although it was very funny, uh, the not wearing pants, the talking about where to pee, I know. Uh, the stupidity of these cops, hilarious, but these are just, you talk about red shirts, Josh, these are Keystone cops through and through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were white shirts. Yeah, um, yeah they, they were dressed like the guilty remnant. <laughs> yeah, yeah they I just was wondering about that, with smoking cigarettes and wasting paper, I yeah. wonder. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so you know what really scares me though real quick i know we, we really do i'm sure we have to end this conversation but we you know what really scares me though is that i really love the concept of fargo and i really like what's going on here and i just don't want this bold choice though to like maybe put them in a category where people will stop watching and that that's the only thing that's the one of the only fears i really have about this thing but i do applaud the boldness i really do well, yeah i, I think ahead. i think that you know season three is already happening and plus the viewership on this thing is not gigantic to begin with so i think that holly is trying to just like play for his crowd and if you look at just the the comments on ew at least i mean i know that the the comments disagree a little bit here on poster recaps there are people who are agreeing uh with with this uh, we just got one in from michelle forbes who said okay i have to go cry foul really spaceships i know that antonio's head probably exploded and mine was close to it so a lot of people you know are in the head exploding category here but if you look at ew like there's a lot of people on the comments of the interview with noah hawley who are like that is you know an episode of television that you will always always remember it's one of those scenes you'll never forget as a viewer it's not true for me because i knew it was coming uh but uh you know for some people for some people for some people it was (laughs) uh so i think i think that you know there's uh that that concern jeremiah I guess I guess it's valid. I guess it's, I, I, it is valid. I guess the thing is that like 
the, you're not worried I, about it. I, I'm not that worried about it because I think the okay. audience is either already on board or it's small enough that, you know, I, I think I think that FX is already behind this show at least for a third season, if not beyond that. I can't wait to watch Fargo season three. I mean, I love the the chances that the show takes. I just don't always agree that they, they take them successfully. Another good example in this episode, uh, I've criticized a lot, the, the, the split screen as style for style's sake, uh, oh, the overuse of it. And I thought we got probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite, favorite split screen moment of the entire series uh this particular episode with mike milligan in the phone booth yeah that was great with the different timelines that we're seeing play out in that in that phone booth where in one split screen he's already walking across the street whistling and all happy and in the other we actually see mike milligan in a private moment when there's no kitchen brother around uh really nervously adjusting his tie taking like an exhaling after his phone call with his boss, where he's been given the go-ahead to do what he wanted to do, uh, and really taking that private moment where we're seeing the other Mike Milligan walk across the street so cheerfully. I thought that was fantastic. I think that that was a really good, and I've mentioned a couple other good uses of the split screen. This was probably one of the, this was maybe, in my opinion, the best, because it not only delivered the style, but it also delivered some thing that meant a lot to me thematically uh and about the character of mike milligan um let's talk about the massacre at sioux falls let's get away from the ufo uh, agree everyone good i'm, I'm yeah yes. whatever. Right. let's get let's yes. get away from the ufo let's talk about the massacre itself um which i think you know there was it had a lot going for it it had a lot of a, a lot of moments of, of this of the way that this scene played out were just really spectacular um you know seeing the the gerharts like through the curtains as shadows and only peggy notices hank is you know prepared because he He's the only cop there who knows, like, oh, some some nonsense is happening here, and these guys are idiots, and they're going to get us all killed. I also <laughs> loved Hank's story about the about the lieutenant who told Eisenhower to f off. Uh, that that was great, and he's like, I send him a Christmas card every year because I can. Yeah, that was great. That yeah. was a really great Ted Danson moment. Um, but the the way that it all played out was was really great. The, the the stories about peeing in desks and things like that that was very fun. And then when the when the shootout really happened, it was intense. It was it was climactic. It was beautifully shot it was excellently choreographed um i, I mean i don't have much to say I, I don't have much to add about the merits of the thing because i think that the the good parts of this really speak for themselves so if you guys have something to highlight there before i bring up some of the things that i didn't love about it okay well then i'll, I'll wait on to the to the didn't love uh i yeah i agree the the shootout played out really well i really like hansy as uh he, you first see him kind of clocking the hotel and he's above a building that says optometrist and i was thinking about the great gatsby and the eyes of you know the optometrist sign um hansy's kind of watching overall from that point i really like that i like stylistically the way it was presented there was a couple of uh freeze frames in there that reminded me a lot of goodfellas uh or you know a more scorsese kind of take uh with hansy shooting his gun especially in the report or the blast from the the rifle coming out while he's walking through the parking lot i thought that was really good and then i really i really like more than anything when you say choreography i loved that peggy was actualized throughout that she was seemed to be one of the only people who would really realize like we got to get out of here like she was thinking about that long before anything happened and the cops are eating snacks and watching tv and peggy is plotting how the hell are we going to get away like we don't want to we don't want to do this this isn't our out we got to get away from here and so i love i love this peggy i love the actualized peggy and that even though she saw the observer or whatever that was that all played out really has played out really well to me the new peggy and seeing where her story has gone and yeah we predicted this peggy and ed still around so i really like the ed and peggy aspects of this for sure 
Jeremiah, what'd you like? Uh, I I have very little negative to say about this whole sequence. I thought it was beautiful. I loved. I definitely think that Hansi again was a star, going full John Rambo, and just just causing so much damage was fantastic. I certainly want us to discuss if our thoughts have changed anymore as far as why Hansi, of course, did turn on the Gerhards. I think it'd be important thing for us to go over. And I also, too, I love the emotion there between uh, the, the last few moments with Floyd I thought was really powerful and great. There were just, there were so many great things that, that, that was happening here. The, the freeze frames, I know everybody talked about the freeze frame shots were awesome. I just... It was great television. I enjoyed it every minute of it. So, and you know how I am. I love uh, anything that involves a lot of mass death. So, <laughs> <laughs> really, that really is your thing. Just, just put a smile on my face. Oh, you know? it's so creepy. It's so creepy, uh, <laughs> isn't it? Though it is. A but little, no, it was but, fantastic. But it's, it's I really enjoyed it. Um, Let's plant the Hansy flag. I want to go back to the Hansy because you're right. I think that that is great. Let's talk that through. I want to talk through the why of Hansy because I love that the show itself is actually asking that question. I thought that that was really fun. Um, yeah. I want to talk about Floyd. I want yeah, to, yeah, yeah. We have to. I want to talk about the way that, that this show killed off Floyd Gerhardt. I thought that that was remarkably underwhelming for a character that they had been building up so much and had invested so much into with Gene Smart being so spectacular in that role. And not, I felt like they really just didn't give her a moment. And I mean, I guess you could argue that her moment in the car where she says, I miss them all. And she's talking about all of her kids who are gone. Um, you know, that was beautiful. That was that was sweet. But it just felt like, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know what they were driving at with Floyd's story ultimately this season. And there is a certain random quality about violence in general that makes it fair, you know, as fair as it is for anybody uh, to get killed off just very suddenly. So why, why can't Floyd die at the massacre at Sioux Falls? I guess my answer to that would be because there it just didn't feel it didn't feel earned for for the character to die this way uh for her to die at the hands of Hansi felt very sudden and i'm wondering if either of you guys have you know interpretations of what that means for for why it had to be Hansi that kills floyd and how that satisfies the floyd character arc if either of you have a read on that that's going to make me feel better i'd feel i'd be very happy with that well, no, I'm I sure, wish I did. I'm yeah, sure Antonio ahead, does. No, no I'm, I don't. I'm sure Antonio, you don't have a good one. Well, I do. I do want to start by saying that I feel like that. Oh, I do feel like it would have been more better served to have Floyd survive. And here's why: think how more devastating would it be to know that Floyd's alive and she has to live with the fact and knowing that maybe the decision she made completely wipes out her entire family and and the and their entire power that they have and i thought that would be more powerful than having her just die the way she did so i that kind of really troubled me but i think you're right i think this has to do with the fact on on how where do you fall on the line of why hansy for sure turn on the gerhardt's how long has he felt like he needed to do this and is the reason why Hansy's the one that kills Floyd is because it's important for us to know that Hansy has to take out all the Gerhards for him to be satisfied, perhaps. I think, yeah. that, you know, he tries to tell her to stay home. He's like, don't come. Leave it. Did he? That's right. Yeah, he's like, leave, leave it to bear. Don't come. So I think I feel like he didn't want to do it, but he does it. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's the toughest part for me. It's because I would be on board with what Jeremiah is saying. And I think that I hope the show does leave it to us. I like that it directly asked us the question. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like that it asks us the question on one level because I feel like the show should trust the viewers to be smart enough to ask that question. But I feel like the, it, it's such an open question and such a 
a, a weird thing that ultimately plays out with Hansi betraying the Gerhards that I feel like the, the, you have to acknowledge that the show knows that it's a weird question and that it's really open like that. I don't think you can leave it that open-ended, even if you ask the viewers to make their own conclusions about it. So I think that you have to ask the question. I like that the show asks the question. I don't need the show to provide me the answer. I sort of hope that it doesn't. Um, but what I would say is that I, I agree with you, Jeremiah, that it, you know, it makes sense that if you're saying, well, he kind of felt like he needed to do all this. But what Josh is saying is what I'm thinking, which is that he did tell her to stay home. And so I don't know why he ultimately drives the knife. And I don't know what his goal at the massacre at Sioux Falls was other than kill everyone. Uh, and it seems like if we don't have uh, a real point on this story, um, then it feels like the message that we're getting predominantly is that Hansi's just a psychopath. And I don't love that. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it would be that simple. I think that, you know, he I think that I think that one of the stories that's being told throughout this season is like the effects of, um, you know, how you're how you're completely changed when you come home from war. Like when you've gone yes. over there and when you've seen those things, like the difference between men and boys, you know, the way that yes. Lou articulates that to Ed. Um, and I think that it's been really established through Hansi, beautifully established through Hansi, that he was mistreated over there. He's been mistreated all of his life, that he was forced to really do some awful things and learn some phenomenal skill sets that would make Liam Neeson uh, jealous uh, in order to survive. You know, he really had to learn a particular set of skills that would make him a nightmare for people like everybody on Fargo. Yes. Um, and, and I think that we've seen, and it, w- it was a great moment last week where he said, tired of this life, where there's just like, something has broken in this guy. Right. And, and I think that when you're, when you're talking about Hansy pulling a John Rambo, I don't think that you're just saying that, you know, because it's a, the easy point of reference. I think that you know, just on on the visual level, I think that when you dig deep into into that whole story is all about PTSD, and I think that that with, with Hansi less about him being like a pure psychopath is more like he is just like he's been like the the switch has been flipped, and I don't know how you turn that off other than you know a shot to the peach. Yeah, and I, I guess we don't go ahead, Jeremiah. No, I was going to say is I feel like that line is very important to understanding maybe where Hansi's head is. He does want a new life, and maybe he feels like the only way to get that is to get rid of everyone who knows him perhaps and then maybe he feels like he could move forward yeah maybe i mean the thing is that we're five years out from the war we can't forget that so something must have happened in the context of what we're seeing this this time around for Hansi to snap something has changed him from the kind of calm hunter who will capture a bunny and then stroke its hair and later kill it like he does with constance um, to the person who's just going to stab Floyd Gerhardt in the stomach. Right. And I don't know what that is. I just, the racism element made sense last week, but I don't know that we've ever seen Floyd mistreat Hansi or even the conversation that uh, Hansi has with Bear. It isn't that bad. It, certainly, there aren't any words used in Bear's. If anything, Bear is saying, if you're straight with us, then we're good. Right. And I, I, don't, I don't think that that's negative. As a matter of fact, I thought that it was positive uh, at the time, so I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that maybe the racism thing was the thing that like flipped it to the on switch, where like he had that mm-hmm. potential in him to just like raise the world around him until he stopped. And I think that that's pro- that could that could answer why he told Floyd not to come because like the answer would be like Floyd, if you're here, like I'm not going to be able to stop myself from just like stabbing you in the chest because I have to I have to shoot everything that moves. Yeah, and that's kind of why I said psychopath because then it's kind of like. I recognize my problems. I know. <laughs> right, I'm yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but I'm going <laughs> to do point. it anyway. 
today. So just, you know, fair I don't want to do it, but fair I'm going to have to. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, well, let's be honest. There's no, let, you're, if you're able to, com- to do the things that Hansi is doing in this, in this season, uh, you're certainly not playing with a full deck. I mean, there's obviously some serious deep issues going on here. But, you know, to, to talk about Hansi, I mean, I know that we only know so much about how he was raised and how things go on. But we do know that there was a lot of mistreatment by the Gerhardt family, even if it's just mostly Dodd that's doing it. But I think I kind of got the feeling that Hansi, even though maybe Dodd was doing most of the terrible things to him, I get this feeling that no one really stuck up for him too much through most of his life until maybe towards the end. I know Bear kind of opened up to him earlier in the season, but I feel like maybe that might have been one of the first times he did it. Like, the Bear was only doing it because he felt like he had to. Like, you know, he wanted to keep this guy in check and, and, and make sure he's still with them or whatever his reasons for, for saying the things he did. I just get this feeling that, that Floyd and everyone just kind of ignored all the terrible things that was going on with this man and that that was enough right there to just... Once he lost it, he lost it, and he, he's going to take it completely out on them. Yeah. Um, so I know that we floated this out there as a joke, but I think that maybe <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it worth entertaining the alien thing as a motivation for Hansi? Because, Antonio, you talked about this a lot earlier in the season in the episode where time passes rather quickly while the lights are weird on Hansi's face, and you posited, like, could he have been abducted just now? We kind of laughed it off at the time, and now I feel bad. <laughs> I feel bad. Like, <laughs> yeah. I feel bad for laughing because I think that it's, it's at the very least it's a possibility on the table until we see how this thing shakes out. And he is so driven to go after Peggy and Ed specifically. Uh, I, I say this... Who with saw a, the UFO. Yeah, I say this with a smile on my face because, like... I, I fear, you know, I, I fear the, the possibilities, like the, the potential wrath that would spew forth if that is where we're going. <laughs> but like, is, it, is, it, is it something worth entertaining that Hansi is on like a holy mission from aliens from outer space to go after Peggy? I mean, it's, look, the door is open because once you put aliens into the mix, this happens. And so maybe you ask yourself like, oh man, what was wrong with Lauren Malvo? And you look back at season one and say maybe he got abducted too yeah Yeah. and so every time something crazy happens in season three are we going to be wondering like this is my problem and you know you can say cohen-esque all you want i'm going to rant just a little bit more (laughs) i don't think they have a film and somebody can check me if i'm wrong in this i don't think they have a a film where aliens actually exist confirmed like where they're a part of the plot of a story i don't think they've made that film and so this would be a departure they're allowed to depart if they want to depart on fargo and they want to make a co esque story that you know plays with genres and stuff like that that occasionally pays tribute to the Coen brothers that has the name Fargo I'm totally fine with that that just hasn't been the show that I've been watching throughout and so that's the problem is that you have to entertain questions like this I think you have to seriously ask yourself like you know why is it why are the Gerhards involved with these UFOs and was Hansi perhaps abducted I think these are valid questions and Unfortunately, uh, because I think that who knows where that train stops ultimately. And I, I don't mind talking about it. I, I think it's okay to talk about. It. I just, the problem is I don't know where that train stops and we could be here for literally three weeks. And I, I, I feel like I got places to be. I can't be here. That yeah, <laughs> Part of what I enjoy doing with you guys is sorting through things. So they make some degree of sense. And I feel like the handsy thing doesn't make the most sense. And that's fine. It's hard to understand why someone would take another human life. I think the war explanation is the most likely one, but he's clearly like he's beyond Travis Bickle. Like, you know, we already saw the sleep 
Reeve gun earlier yeah, from yeah. Mike Milligan. He's beyond this sort of PTSD, somebody who thinks that they, you know, they don't really fit in society because of what they've experienced in war. He's well beyond that. He's killing the very people who he's broken bread with and laid down with and who have taken care of him. And some of that makes sense with Dodd calling him a mongrel right before he shoots him. And yeah. a lot of it doesn't make sense. I mean, why is he setting them up? Why did he say Kansas City? The show is asking those questions. The narrator is directly asking us to evaluate that. And I think that story's not done. I mean, I think we need to see this 10th episode and see the end of Hansi to get kind of a finer point on it. But I agree with both of you. Josh, you, that Floyd's death was sort of anticlimactic, and it was not really what I think. I think they could have done better, a lot better with it. Uh, and Jeremiah, I agree with you that you have to really understand Hansi to kind of know why it happened. And we don't really understand Hansi right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, are these questions more important though, than knowing why like the ice machine was broken in the motor motel <laughs> right. or what's really worse pissing in the pool or pissing in a sink? I mean, these are really important questions too. So we can't forget that, you know? Yeah. yeah we really got to pick those. Apart. <laughs> Jeremiah, you're married, right? <laughs> yes, I am, sir. So you tell me, well, <sighs> You know, I don't think we have a long enough podcast. Don't, yeah, don't actually, don't, actually <laughs> don't actually tell me. Don't actually tell me. Don't actually tell me. That's for another podcast, my Please. friend. Save, so me, guys, save, me, uh, save me some work in the editing room, guys. There I have you. a couple of questions. Do you think Betsy's dead or are we going to see Betsy? Yeah, I had this on my agenda, too. That's um, on mine as well. I, I feel like there's another Betsy scene coming up. Yeah, I think so, too. I think absolutely. I think that we'll have one more Betsy scene. I feel like um, you know. I think that this is this is something else that uh, that that uh, Noah Hawley says in his Entertainment Weekly interview, and this is something that we've talked about a bit as we've discussed Fargo. Is that he sees? He says this. I see Fargo as a tragedy with a happy ending, and those elements have to be there. Uh, he he likes you know he likes that Fargo you know ends on some sort of sense of an uplifting note, even if it's a grim path to get there. Um, so I. Feel feel like it would be really really cruel to because we know lou is going to survive survive we know that molly survives uh we know that betsy is not around in the future i feel like to not have lou be able to go home and have any sort of moment with uh with his wife whatsoever before she goes that feels that doesn't feel like a happy ending to me i feel like that element of the happy ending i think needs to exist i think that she could die in the hospital and lou is able to to get there but i feel like i feel like there's got to be one more thing or at least we have to see some sort of moment with her and molly uh if not lou so i feel like there still has to be one more scene i think that the show is going to let us say goodbye to betsy salverson oh i totally agree absolutely i mean the, the big question will be is will will hank will lou be there when those final moments that we're not 100 percent sure about but i think i think we're definitely going to have some kind of closure with with betsy and i mean it is very possible though that we could end on a note where she, she had this moment in the hospital but she gets out and she's fine but i really doubt that i do think we are we will unfortunately maybe now see betsy pass away which i was really kind of hoping not i really was hoping for that off-screen death which I think we've talked a lot about in this in this podcast, but uh, I don't know. I'm kind of now leaning towards uh, that's not going to happen after seeing your pass out in this episode. Now, Antonio, what do you think about Hank? Uh, is Hank making it out of next episode alive, or was that whole suit of armor exchange while he was gut shot in the hotel? Is that a fond farewell to Hank Larson? That would be a great kind of last words exchange between Hank and Lou. And I, if that's their kind of last interaction, that's not a 
happy ending, but it's a thumbs up rather than a thumbs down. He got, I agree. He got to say something to him, and they got to be men together, and that all worked well for the two of them in the moment. So if that's the last we see of Hank, it won't be like Odo Gerhardt dying off screen. Uh, it won't be like some of the other problems that we've had um, with deaths on Fargo this season. I think it will be uh, something that will be understood to, to work out. Uh, I think we will see him again. Like I said, I'm much more inclined to think that we'll see the three of them recuperating together. I think in that same interview you're talking about with Holly, Josh, he also mentions that would it really be right for Molly to lose her grandfather and her mother in the span of, you know, a week? Like, is that really fair for Molly Silverson? I think we can't talk about this without really talking about the season three of Fargo, which has been confirmed to take place probably a few years after season one. So right. I think there's a good present, chance. Present day-ish, they've said. Present day-ish. Yeah. So I think there's a good chance we're going to see Allison Tolman again because everyone was very happy uh, and really enthralled with her performance. And if that's the case, then we could get some indirect characterization of Molly Silverson through what happens in this final episode. We haven't. Molly hasn't really been in the forefront. Seeing her mother on the floor was probably the biggest Molly moment of the season, I would say. Uh, and there's a possibility that we could get a lot more mileage that could influence and instruct the way we view season three, uh, if Molly is a character in season three. Uh, again, uh, through what happens in this tenth episode, so that could be uh, that could you know that could be influ- that could influence what happens with Hank. I'm not sure they'd made that decision um, when they knew uh, you know that when they were writing this episode. I don't know if they knew season three was happening or when it would happen, uh, but uh, you know th- that's a possibility that, that the decisions that happen with Hank could be set in play to influence what we know about Molly. So that's. That's a possibility. Um, what about Mike Milligan, though? We had a really good comment from Lance Davis at Post Show Recaps here. Um, wanted said, I'm curious what your guys' takes or predictions are on where the episode leaves Milligan. He escaped from this whole conflict that ended with the demise of the I might add, his escape was fantastic. Didn't you guys love that? Yeah. <laughs> it is one of the best parts of the episode. Yeah, he walks I, up and just takes it in and then, yep, I'm out. It took me It took me probably an hour to calm down from being really kind of furious that Mike Milligan wasn't around to see the UFO because that's a great character to witness that moment so that he could say something incredibly Mike Milligan. I was, right. re- I was really upset that they removed him from that scene. But then I did think about just how delicious it was. I was like, okay then. And yeah, let's just go. That was really good. That that was that was actually probably even the better Mike Milligan moment. Yeah. So Lance wanted to know what we think. He is he going to take credit for this incident? Will it get him back into the good graces of his bosses in KC? What's his ultimate player end game here? Could you see him making a play for moving up the ladder in KC with some sort of betrayal, much in the same way as Hansi did? And then Lance says, I can't help but see the parallels between those two characters, since both work for rival organizations. They're in similar positions in terms of pecking order when the series begins. Both take orders from racist individuals in positions of power, and the racial aspect has clearly bothered both characters at different times throughout the story this season, last week especially, with Hansi uh, and and Dodd and everything that went down there. Um, Or do you think that both Hansi and maybe Milligan had planned on backstabbing their outfits and were just now discovering their real motives? Um, Do you guys see similarities between these characters, and where do you think we're going to see Milligan end up uh, in the 10th episode here, now that the Gerhards are really out of the picture? I, I really, really hope 
that Mike Milligan makes it out of this thing alive. Uh, and I feel like he will. I feel like he will. I feel like we're going to have Mike in the Fargo universe beyond this. I, I don't know if that was always the plan. Like, I don't know if that would have always been, you know, on the table that, that Milligan was going to make it. But I think that, uh, Bokeem Woodbine has just been so spectacular as this character. And I think that it's been undeniable that he has just been, you know, and I think that you could probably stay, say the same, um, about Hansi, Hansi being a breakout character, but, Mike Milligan has just been a phenomenon and just a real force. And I think that the temptation to keep him alive at the end of this thing, if there's a way to make it make sense, whether he's in control of some, you know, new crime syndicate or if he's higher up in KC or whatever, or if he's on the lam, I think the temptation to have him possibly be able to pop up in like a late eighties, early nineties Fargo would be that, that for me, if I were the writer of this show and I saw what, what uh Bokeem Woodbine was turning in every single week, like I, I would have a really hard time resisting keeping him alive so i feel like from that perspective i feel like he's gonna make it just instinct tells me that this guy's gonna survive yeah and josh i know you're not a big sports guy but i'm gonna throw out a sports allergy you know how a lot of uh, fantasy sports guys will or people who uh, talk about uh, football picks they'll say i'll give you the pick of the week well, my statement of the week is going to be that uh, Mike definitely makes it through this season. I I just don't see him dying now. And you know what's great is he he can actually take credit for everything maybe that happened down there at the motel. You know, I'd be like, you know, yeah, I was down there. You know, me and Kitchen. You know, we took care of some guys. You know, there was it was a, it was pretty nasty. But hey, we're out. We're we're good. All the Garrets are gone. <laughs> you know, so he can take total full credit for this. I think that the. The positive signs uh, for Mike at this point in his life, I think things are on the up and up. And I, I do like that concept theory, though, that whether or not he could have been working with Hansi, I don't, I don't think so. But hey, it's fun to think about, that's for sure. And I'm, I'm just a little concerned. I just don't know what role for sure we're going to see him in, since you know he's not necessarily. It looks like for sure the majority of what we're going to see, obviously, in this last episode, is going to be this this hunt down that you know Hansi, you know, hunting down the the. Uh, Eddie and, and Peggy, and then we got Lou on the trail. So I don't know where he could even fit in anywhere else well, that, in the story. That could but potentially I wrap up real fast. That could be, you know, that could be the, you know, the the cold open. Could that could be that could be done quick? So potentially, it depends so? on. Yeah, it's it's not off the table. I think, um, you know, uh-huh. given where the pieces are on the board, I think that they could wrap that up fast. I feel like there's got to be a, a, at least one really good Mike Milligan scene left. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this. I. I don't understand why um, the Kitchen Brothers survived. I still don't get it. Um, and and I think that there could be a reason for that. And I think that it is possible that we, you know, we saw the split screen with Milligan kind of creating a different uh, look to the Kitchen Brother than he was presenting uh, in private. Uh, is it possible we see a Kitchen Brother turning on um, on Mike Milligan? I, I, I wouldn't want to say that it's not possible. Let's put it that way. Like, yeah, but I could foresee that one, of, that one of the brothers would turn on Mike. The only existing kitchen brother that's left, his boy or whatever, that Mike Milligan goes back to Kansas City, tells a tall tale, uh, and then the first kind of speaking we hear from a kitchen brother this season is saying something to the contrary. I think that that is entirely possible, Um, and I think that it would fit in the themes of this season, that you can always be undone by people who are perceived to be uh, working for you or beneath you, uh, and that it could happen. I'm not saying it will, but I'm saying 
happening. If it did happen, I wouldn't feel like it was a UFO over a shootout. I would understand where that all kind of played in. I still don't understand why the Kitchen Brothers survived other than that awesome scene where the Undertaker and his, uh, his hitmen kind of went down. Uh, other than that, I don't know. Uh, and if, as far as that goes, um, I, I feel like there's at least a possibility that Kitchenette uh, may play a role here. And I think we're going to see the, this episode's director, uh, Adam Arkin, I think could, you know, we know he plays the kind of head of Kansas City. If Milligan goes back home to report, we could have a big scene there in Kansas City. I don't think there's any reason for Milligan to stay in the North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, you know, Minnesota kind of area. There's no reason for him to stay up there. There's every reason for him to go home at this point. And I think the going home is going to be the scene with Milligan. And the question is, is he going to ride this wave to the top? Uh, or is he going to ultimately be undone by something? And I think that's what I'm tracking is how does that play out? Interesting. Uh, I, I could see I could see there being some sort of like a Ocean's Eleven-esque reveal of Mike and Hansy being in cahoots, and that could explain why a Kitchen Brother survived for whatever reason. Um, but I, I would ha- I don't know. I, I, that, that'd be interesting. That'd be interesting to see that play out. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I think that some sort of there's got to be some more closure with Casey. Uh, that's got to be in the mix. Yep. And I'm I'm very hopeful that Mike makes it out of there alive. I really feel like he's going to. Yeah, I agree with both of what you guys said about why he should make it, so hopefully he does. Um, right. Did you guys see some of the things uh, floating around? I know I, I don't want to touch into this anything spoiler because I know we try to be careful about things that are on the uh, preview for next week or everything. But um, did you see some of the conspiracy theories about uh, the, the about the head boss from the first season that we see that gives the order to kill or to find out who killed um, – Oh, the Sam Hess. Yeah, Sam Hess. Did you guys see all those theories going around? No, I mean, the only thing I'd seen is that it was Bear. People were suggesting that it might have been Bear because that guy was always eating and Bear was always eating. But I haven't seen anything since then. Well, I I only brought that up because I saw a few people like guessing whether or not that could be uh, the Kitchen Brother. But I really doubt he's our candidate, though. But I do have a question. What what does this uh, mean for old Charlie Gerhardt? One of the few survivors yeah, that's of the right. Gerhardt family. Yeah, he's now the scion of the Gerhardt family. Poor that's a good... Kid. Did you say Cylon? No, the Cylon of the Gerhardt family's dead. He's gone. Uh, no, no spoilers, Josh. No spoilers. Poor uh, kid's going to need some therapy now, isn't he? So I, that's a good point. I had, I had completely forgotten about Charlie. I kind of... One of the things... We all did. Yeah, one of the things that... <laughs> I mean, I still I, I still feel like I... I don't know. I could, I could talk for a while about why I'm really disappointed with the way that the show handled Floyd. That really bothered me, and I, I'm, yeah. I really feel like the show dropped the ball on how Floyd went out. Um, but one of the things that I didn't, you know, I, I was thinking, like, so that's just, that's completely it for the Gerhardt? Like, we're, we're done with the Gerhardt story? But no, Charlie is absolutely in the mix. Um, there yeah. could be something there. There could be some follow-up there. Antonio, do you think that we'll get any more Gerhardt follow-up, or do you think that we're, we're totally done on the story? I think we're I think we're done, but I could be wrong. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been wrong before. I, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. I feel like there's ways to bring Charlie kind of back into the mix but i I mean standing trial i don't see anybody bailing him out of jail uh, unless there's some gerhard family member floating around out there that we don't know about did the the guy from buffalo go down by the way in this incident no he i think he drove off (laughs) yeah i think he he I i think he's not involved so you know there is some there is some by the way, there are some people saying that there's a buffalo, I believe, in Minnesota. Is that right? Um, there's a buffalo in that area, which would okay. make a little more sense than this guy being from actual buffalo. Um, that- <laughs> 
Yeah, this is a that's a city northwest of Minneapolis. The people in Buffalo, Minnesota, are very upset that you called Buffalo, New York, actual (laughs) Buffalo. Yeah, well, that's true. I apologize for that. (laughs) There goes all of our listeners. Buffalo Prime. Buffalo Prime. The fifteen thousand four hundred and fifty-three in the Buffalo, Minnesota area. I apologize to you, but that these people might be from Buffalo, Minnesota, and that may be the crime family there. So you know, there's going to be a vacuum in 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 Fargo and in the areas where the Gerhards were uh, influential. Uh, It could be a it could be a war. It could be a power vacuum being sought to be filled by other mafia families that are maybe located in other areas. If that is Buffalo, Minnesota, and not Buffalo, New York, I think that could come into play as well. And that might be where Kansas City has to play a more active role, and Milligan still has to stay around. All right, so let's set something up here really quick. Um, when we when we finished episode one of our recaps on Fargo season two, we did our death draft. This is something that we like to do here on Poster Recaps because we're sick, uh, and we made we made our claims. We did our draft. Jeremiah Panhorst, he drafted Ed. Uh, I drafted Joe Bulo, and Antonio drafted Dodd. So Antonio and I have scored. We have Boom. we have drawn blood. Jeremiah, what's your instinct? Do you think that you're going to join us in the winner circle next week, or will you just be the biggest loser? I think I think you guys are going to be able to make fun of me for <laughs> the rest of our lives about what a loser pick, first draft loser picking the wrong person because i don't know if i'm not convinced yet that ed's gonna die you don't think so i don't know i mean i could uh, i mean i've gone back and forth with him he's so aggressively after them and he has been so relentless and there you know there's been a lot of talk there was a lot of talk in this episode about how their luck is going to run out uh and like you're just like seconds away from it happening antonio do you think that ed and peggy's luck runs out do you think that jeremiah is going to score some blood next week um I'd say so. I'd say I'd say Ed's might run out. Uh, I don't know about Peggy, but I think that Ed is of the characters that are that are around. Other than Hansy, I think Ed is the most likely to take a bullet here. Yeah, I, I think poor Ed is still suffering some effects from uh, being almost hung to death because he doesn't. He still doesn't look like he's totally with it. Yeah, he's looking he? a little peaked. He's looking pretty yeah. rough. He looks like a zombie. Yeah. Are zombies real in this universe, guys? Is he, could he ooh. could he really be a zombie? They would be White Walkers because it's cold. In, oh, he's uh, pretty white. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, Ginger Walkers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else from this episode before we wrap up? Is there anything that we didn't touch on that that we'd like to touch on? I mean, there were the cops. The cops were great. I think we talked about that uh we love the ted danson story about uh sending christmas cards to his lieutenant uh i th- i guess like some props are owed to benjamin for actually yeah. being you know like you know schmidt Sh- did it he, not quite yeah. the worst he got the drop on those guys and cleared the room that yeah. was pretty impressive yeah he cleared the room and then let peggy bash him in the face with the gun that yeah. was fantastic yeah. what a loser <laughs> hey we did get confirmation about uh constant Constance, was it Constantine? Constance, Constance. Yeah, Constance. Yeah, we got the confirmation about that. I, this is great. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, I, I I noticed on Hitflix or Hitfix.com, Alan mentioned, I guess one of his commenters in there had said last week that he knew that she was gonna, a goner because of the way he was stroking her hair because it reminded him of what, what he did with that rabbit before he killed the rabbit. And I was like, oh, man, that's that's scary to think about. But yeah, that's right. The, the, she was a goner the whole time, yeah. guys. I think it was, you know, if you're in Hansi's path right now, you're just, you're gone. Like, if the clerk isn't yeah. going to get out of there without a headshot, I think that Constance Heck was in trouble. <laughs> so anything else from the episode, though, guys? 
Yeah, I actually there's there, it's a small moment, but I really like the two kind of Floyd moments that we get uh, the the height marks next to the phone and the bullet holes in the height marks, and you can see every one. You can see Charlie, you can see Dodd, you can see the name of the the son that was lost in the war. You can see all of them on the wall there next to the phone, and you can see the bullet holes in it. And Floyd kind of almost collapses into it when she gives Hansi that speech about I've sent a man to do the job three times and it hasn't worked. Uh, yeah. I thought that that those that was a great detail. Uh, I, I didn't notice it in the background of a previous episode. I understand from the EW uh, interview that it was co- coded into the background of a previous episode. They used sort of post production to get it in there because by the time they were shooting this scene with Floyd by the phone, they realized they really wanted it, uh, and so they kind of retconned it into a previous scene. I didn't see that, uh, but I really love that detail, and I like her in the car saying, "I miss all of them." Uh, I, I love Floyd. I, it was just really a letdown to me that she kind of met her end the way she met it. You're right, Josh. If you're in Hansi's path, he's pretty much killing everyone at this point. But it was just a, it was just a shame. Uh, and I know I'm not alone in thinking that. We had comments at post-show recaps from Hannah that said the same thing. Um, the only other thing I wanted to get to is we had a question from Mike Bloom about how Ben Schmidt, when the shootout is dropping off, he says, this is Rapid City all over it's again. Rapid City all over again. Yeah, is this uh, is this a season? Is this another season of Fargo being set up here, or is this just a kind of a stray line out of the book, the book of true crime in the Midwest? Yeah, I mean, maybe the thing is like the odd number of seasons are present ish, and the older season, the the odd seasons are uh, set in the past. Maybe Rapid City is season four. Who 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 knows? Uh, I thought that it was just kind of a throwaway. Maybe it was like the kind of thing that like sends people like us down the rabbit hole. Like, what's Rapid City? It's totally season three. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think it could go either way. I think you, you could see it on the show at some point in the future, or it's just a throwaway. I think that you could, again, another coin flip, I think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I feel the same way. Well, Jeremiah, Tom Palmer had asked in the, the storybook at the beginning, kind of set up the story as dating back all the way to like the, I think it was the 1820s, wasn't it? And yeah. so do you guys think that, that, that we might at some point see a season of Fargo set that far back in the frontier times? Or would you be, we talked about this a little bit, but would you guys be on board for that? And are, are you at all excited about this? Or do you really prefer the, the seasons to have some connected characters like a Lou and a Molly, uh, or a Ben Schmidt even? Um, people are speculating about this mafia boss that you like that this the connection to the seasons opens that up or would you prefer to see something that could go all the way back to like the mid 1800s i was extremely excited when i saw the when they opened the book and it talks about that they these events took place you know from and it mentions all the different states and it says from uh, 1825 to present because you're right i think it this opens up all kinds of potential opportunities and whether or not i really feel like i need to see a, a fargo type crime take place in 1825 i don't know if necessarily need to see that but i would certainly be open for it though absolutely I like the I like the Solversons. I like ha- I like having those guys around. I I hope that there's some sort of connective tissue through these seasons. I do I do like that. You could still do that though, even if it's 1825, right? Yeah, the 1825th uh, Solverson. Yeah, yeah well, you're just saying like a great great grandfather or whatever. OG you know? OG Solverson. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. Be- I mean, there is. It's the interesting thing because I mean, I think. A lot of people sort of have already forgotten or don't talk much about True Grit being a Coen Brothers film since it was uh-huh. a remake and yeah, since all yeah, of that. Yeah. But I think there is the opportunity uh, to, to tie in a lot of True Grit stuff if you take yeah. it back a further time. And I mean, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I, I wouldn't mind seeing That's that at all. That's a really good point. I mean, listen, Deadwood is one of the greats. And if Fargo could do you know something Deadwood-esque, that could be pretty great. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
I, I think the opportunity is there. That would be uh, those Deadwood actors pretty- love FX too. So <laughs> you know, yeah, get, <laughs> yeah. Josh get, and I know that very well. Yeah, we could get a yeah. bunch of them. I mean, look. I mean, think about think about like. Uh, Oh my god! Well, now I'm now I'm geeking out. Like, think about Timothy Oliphant being on there. Oh yes, you know. Yes. And frankly, if you want to open it up to just justify, like, think Walton Goggins in the Fargo universe in a season like that. You've you've sold me completely. I'm in for Cowboy Fargo. You there know, you I'm, go. I'm in. Cowboy I'm, I'm I'm weighing on that. That's season five. That sounds like a great great time. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's wrap this thing up. Um, we we've got we've got one more of these coming up. We've got we've got the finale next week. Oh, Palindrome. Wow. Yes, yes. yes. Worth it means so yeah, episode ten back. is called Taco Cat. Is Taco that right? Taco Cat. That's correct. Or is it race car? It's race car. Race car is what's coming up. All right, so we'll be racing <laughs> into the finale next week. We'll be bringing you another podcast. Hopefully, I'm going to be around. There's a possibility that I will not be. I'll be in California next week. I'm going to try and make it for the finale. If not, we'll figure out a plan. Uh, but we'll get you guys some coverage. Follow these dudes on Twitter. Jeremiah's at J Panhorst. Antonio's at AC Mazzaro. I'm at Round Howard. Do we have a good hashtag for this? One. Maybe Buffalo Prime, I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> I like Alien Love. Let's do Alien Love. Can we alien do that, or is that already love. a thing? Well, I think it's probably it's a-, a thing, and I'm surprised that it's your suggestion. But since it sounds like this might heal us a little bit, so that's have, what I'm looking for, Josh. Let's get some oh, ha- let's Alien get some, Healing Love. Let's get some. Let's get. How about that? That makes it unique. So, how about some hashtag Alien Healing Love? Let's get that. Let's get that in the mix and send that Antonio's way. Antonio, I think that you articulated all your points really strongly. I thought that that was great. I thought that this was a really good conversation about where Fargo, you know, went off the rail and was that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's inarguable that Fargo went off the rails. Uh, so a, a really fun conversation with you guys. I hope you all like listening to what we had to say. Anything else, gentlemen? Are you set? I'm good. All right. That's wrapping it up. All right. Take care, everybody. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.